0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Welcome to the Palpably Unfair Podcast. My name is Kyle Posey. I'm joined by an old friend, Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports of Reception Perception, Matt. What is going on? How are you?
2: Yo, thanks so much for having me, man. You're right. We have been uh, we're we're old friends in the biz. We've uh, been around each other a long time. Spent so we actually got to hang out in Miami pre like you're one of the last people I I saw in in the uh, in the <laughs> before times before everything went to hell here. Uh, obviously in 2020 during the pandemic and all that. Like that feels. I don't know about you, man, but that feels like a thousand years ago to me. But um yeah, we've been we've been doing this a long time, man. We've gotten to see a lot of uh, players that we've both liked, evaluated, that have gone on to do you know meaningless things here in the NFL and plenty of things on the other. We've also been on the good side of a lot of takes with wide receivers, which is what I always like to run back run by thoughts by you, see what you feel on guys, because I trust your eye when it comes to this position for sure.
1: February 2020, Miami. That was at least 17 years ago. There's no yeah. doubt about it. i forgot about that was so long ago so yeah i mean we we always talk receivers and receivers is a fun position to talk about because everybody can relate to receivers and it's what you see and we're going to talk about the 2020 draft class today but before we get there let's talk about your baby which is reception perception let's talk about what that is when that started and everything in between so for those that don't know what is reception perception
2: yeah, reception perception is the methodology that I developed uh, right before the 2014 NFL season to evaluate the wide receiver position better. Because I, I know that you know this, your listeners probably know this too. It's one of the most difficult positions to evaluate, uh, just especially from a pure stats standpoint. Um, I, I'll tell you this, KP. The longer that I've I've been doing this, man, like the the more almost radicalized I've gotten by my thoughts on the receiver position. That it's like just stats, like any you know yards per target, catch rate, anything. It's just what are, what are we really doing here trying to evaluate receivers in this way because they're so dependent on other positions in order to accrue, even just to get a target, you know? And I, I think the targets are measures of quality, right? Like bad players don't just get tar- – you know, good players get targeted for a reason, right? Like bad guys just don't randomly get targeted. Unless you're – Calvin Benjamin as a rookie. Uh, that does happen every now and again. <laughs> but for the most part, like targets are a measure of quality. But then going into that, it's like – is the football going to be accurate coming your way? Did the offensive line give the the quarterback enough time? Uh, has the coach put you in a position to win as the wide receiver? So I wanted to try to find a way to really quantify the only thing that wide receivers can really control, which is how often do you go out there, run good routes, get open, get separation versus man zone press coverage against all, you know all types of routes on the tree. Basically, that is what reception perception is. I'm going in over an eight-game sample for NFL players and college prospects. And uh, just charting every single route that they run over that game sample, how often they get open on each route type, how often they run each route type, how often do they get open versus man, zone, press, whatever. Uh, And and I've really just learned so much about the receiver position through it. I think we've had a lot of good calls with reception perception. And I think the, the, you know, along the way uh, it's, it's been a good journey trying to figure out this position more and more. And yeah, like I said, man, the more uh, that I do it, the longer that I spend time with this position, you know, there's a couple of things that become really clear and the guys we're going to talk about today perfectly kind of encapsulate that, which is like one, like I said, I'm it's so hard to isolate wide receiver play. And I, I do think this is not just me trying to like pat myself on the back or anything. I think the only way to do it is to watch these guys and like chart what they do on their own outside of the quarterback. And and number two is just how many good receivers there are in the league. <laughs> like, there's just so many good guys. Like if you're playing fantasy football, you you can be ranking wide receivers and you get to like 40, 43, and you're like, you know what? This guy actually there's a pretty good path that he could have a nice season, whatever. Like, there's just so many good receivers in the league right now. So I I guess I'm lucky to be kind of on the forefront focusing on this, you know, instead of, I don't know, like tight ends where there's like three good ones and uh, nothing else.
1: (laughs) So I'm glad you brought up just how you can poke a hole in essentially every stat when it comes to receivers just because they are so dependent on other positions. Uh, You were one of the first people to bring up the drops don't matter or, you know, they don't matter as much. What led you to that conclusion? Because I imagine a lot of that came from you know reception perception
2: yeah so there's a couple things that kind of led to that one it's just basically the number of plays that we're knocking on a guy you know if a player has eight 12 drops in a season something like that we're considering that to be a lot and like a bit you know they had a bad season because he, he dropped eight passes or had a 10 percent drop rate or something like that but you know number one all drops are not created equal there you know it, it, it can be a number of factors that lead to a player dropping a pass. And then that, that comes down to scouting and how do you feel like about it being a correctable issue, this, that of the other. Uh, but also <clears throat> it's just the the volume of plays that a wide receiver has, you know, these guys are running hundreds and hundreds of routes o- over the season. And like, they could be, I guess it's just trying to be positive about a player. And it's like, yeah, sure. There were eight to 10 mistakes that this player made with, with these drops, but, What about all the good things that they brought to the table? And that's kind of my point uh, with players. Like, number one, drops are not a stable metric year over year. You know, guys can pop up for a lot one year and then they can come back down. Like, those metrics do tend to normalize. Also, great players have had a lot of drops over the years. I mean, you could go back to guys like Brandon Marshall, uh, T.O. You know, even, e- even now there are plenty of examples in the league. So it's like the question not is, does this guy have drop issues? It's what does he bring to the table that makes drops worth living with? But, you know, all these guys that people will bring up, uh, you know, Uh, Troy Williamson all those years ago or like Greg Little or something well those guys didn't wash out of the league because they couldn't catch they washed out of the league because they couldn't do anything that made those negative plays worth living with Uh, same thing with a guy like Kelvin Benjamin who we just talked about earlier although I guess he's back in our lives now as a tight end with the Giants which is quite a quite a wild journey for him as well so yeah I, I just think for me it's it's trying to focus more on what good Like does the table does the player bring to the table as opposed to just focusing on the negatives?
1: Yeah, because how many times does he run a route where he was open and he wasn't targeted, or the ball wasn't accurate, or the O line didn't hold up? There are so many moving parts when it comes to this where. Yeah, drops. There's just so much emphasis on drops because that's what we see. And usually as a fan, especially, that's what you remember. So you're not going to remember the two six-yard catches that he had. You're going to remember that one yeah. drop in week 13, even though it was like 4% of the plays that he had over the course of a 1,000. It's wild.
2: It's the it's like the very visceral reaction that you have to it too. That was kind of one of the original premises in the piece that I wrote for uh, my old site, Backyard Banter, which was just it's it's negativity bias. Like we as human beings, we tend to if we have like ten interactions with people, we're probably going to talk about that one really negative interaction, not the nine good um, interactions. It's like when you read it, like restaurant reviews on Yelp or something. It's like there could be hundreds of good ones, but it's like oh, I found that one negative one where you know the the waitress was really rude to me that one day or something like that, you know, and you're going to focus, you're going to hammer in on that. That's kind of the way it is with drops too. So again, another really good example of that, I don't know how you feel about the player, but Deontay Johnson this last year, you know, he had a lot of drops, right? And I, I was a big Deontay Johnson fan coming into, um, coming into the season. I, I really liked him. Reception perception really liked him. He ended up having like a good season, you know, where he was targeted a lot, but I mean, I have no investment in the Steelers. I I could not care less about how they play. I could not care less about the team as a whole. But I dreaded every single, like, primetime game that they had because I knew I was like, this guy's going to have a drop, you know, that's just going to get Twitter all aflame. And it's like, yeah, I guess we just won't talk about, you know, the fact that he's getting targeted like over the middle, where most drops happen, because that's the only area of the field that Ben Roethlisberger can throw to, and we'll focus on that. One, we'll focus on that one drop, and not like literally the ten other catches that he had in that game. And I think that's kind of my point. There is it is a negativity bias thing, and who knows? Like Deontay Johnson might never have drop issues again in any other year. We'll, we'll see going forward. But that's kind of a just a general premise of how I, how I look at uh, that particular metric.
1: So he's a great example because in 2020, 51% of his passes went for first downs. We should be focusing on that and not drops because he did have a lot of drops. He had 15 drops, but the season before he had four drops. So as you were talking about, that's not like a stable metric. They're going to vary year to year all the time. Let's focus on him having seven touchdowns or nearly a thousand yards with a quarterback who has – who you know who struggles to throw the ball more than thirteen yards? I feel like those right. are the things that we should be focusing on. So, just with you watching, you know, receivers since twenty fourteen, what do you think has been your biggest change, and how have you evolved?
2: Yeah, I think uh, this is such a great question. I love to talk about it because there is one thing that I always um, always think about with reception perception in general, which is just like I said before uh, we started recording. Man, I have like three hundred players in the database, you know, and and the longer that you Just the more data that you have, the larger your sample size, I think the better your analysis gets. You know, I don't think there's ever been anything wrong with reception perception and the metrics that come out of it, but there's certainly been things wrong with the interpreter being me, like over the years, you know? So there are things that I said about reception perception four, five, six years ago that I I would never say now. And I think the biggest thing that I've focused on more and more um is deployment and where players line up and that can be within a one particular offense or across the league like i almost think there's no point in comparing like a slot receiver to an outside X receiver, you know, in, in any metric, but especially in, in reception perception. I the example that I always come back to is the 2018 Steelers. You know, there was uh, some discussion within the fantasy space of like, well, has Juju Smith Schuster like started to overtake Antonio Brown as a player because like, look at his catch rate or yards per target or whatever, whatever. Ba- compared to Antonio Brown like Juju actually is producing better but I'm like look at where they line up man like look at where they're getting targeted on the field and like the way defenders um interact with them uh, while when they're on the field they might as well be playing honestly different positions you know same with uh the Rams offense when they had Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup it's like those guys might have WR both next to their name but they play entirely different positions I think the 49ers are a good example of that as well you know with the way they used Debo Samuel last year like what was what's the point of like comparing Debo Samuel to uh I don't know DeAndre Hopkins or something you know that's that's been something that I've really changed uh over the years on or evolved on is you know, you, I think you first have to start with how is this player deployed? How is this player used? You know, before you start to compare them as route runners or uh, technicians or where do they get open or whatever. Because, yeah, Cooper Cup has never been a guy that is great against press coverage, but Sean McVeigh has never really asked him to be that type of player. Um, and that's also something that can, th- I know people kind of write this off as like you're making excuses with your evaluation or whatever, but really uh, being realistic about it. You know, if if you didn't like Cooper Cup coming into the NFL and then he goes to the Rams, like you should have. And I guess we didn't really know who Sean McVay was at that point. Like, you know, it, but if he had gone to some other team and that they looked at him as he's a big receiver, uh, we, we should ask him to be our ex. He might have never become the player that he is today. You know, and I think that's something that I've really changed uh, my opinion on more and more as I've gone on is like deployment and how these guys um, get get used by coaches it is really Is really key. Uh, And it's not just like they would have failed or they never would have been great had they been in this position. But it it really is about like how fitting wide receivers and these individual talents into specific roles. And I also think just it's good for receivers, too, because it's opened up the portfolio for so many more guys to be good uh, and useful players in the NFL now
1: that that might not have been the case like 10 or 12 years ago. So that's a great point, just as far as usage goes and alignment, because one player that I feel like, and he is a superstar, nobody is ever going to debate this, but DK Metcalf, if he doesn't go to Seattle, where he's essentially being asked to run three to four routes, and they all, you know, do exactly fit to his strengths. If he is asked to go to another team where you know he's having to run all these routes where he has to make multiple cuts or he has to move mm. inside and just do the things that maybe Cooper Cupps has to do, I don't think he's the same type of player. Sure, he's going to be very good because he's very explosive, but landing spots matter, too. And I don't think there's a better landing spot or there was a better landing spot for DK Metcalf. No, and I mean, that's just good coaching, too, because...
2: I remember actually saying saying this to DK Metcalf at that Nashville draft, being like, "If somebody can't figure out how to use you, like they probably shouldn't be coaching in the <laughs> NFL, right? Like they they've got to figure because you know it's, he's not as if he was a guy who wasn't aware of like there are some things I need to work on in in my game. Like I'm not, you know, this that or the other. Like th- th- that that knowledge is within the player too. And I mean, it also matters that like you know he works he works hard and he he puts the time in or whatever. But yeah, going to Seattle is is huge for him because he could go to a place where they weren't going to ask him, like you said, to be something that he wasn't. They were going to like lighten his load, like and reception perception perfectly showed you that like last uh, coming into 2020. So after that 2019 season, he had run, I think a slant and a go route on over 50% of his routes. Like that's insane. It's so, it's so limited, but he crushed it on those two routes. And then you started to see, within reception perception, that like he had high success rates on other routes. He just wasn't running them very often. So it's like, okay, you slowly start to give this guy more. He puts the work in to become a better player. And then, yeah, now you get the player that he was in 2020, which was uh, something like a true number one receiver with him and Tyler Lockett. They're just such a dangerous duo. But, yeah, it's a great point. Like, what if DK Metcalf had gone to – I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, trying to think of some team that just would have like horribly misused him or something. Like goes to some to some team like I don't know the the Jags with Urban Meyer where they don't seem to know what the hell they're doing <laughs> with anybody. Like you know, I don't know. But I mean, just yeah, if he goes to some other team, like we might have been robbed of the player that DK Metcalf has uh,
1: become, and that's a great example. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back here, we are going to talk about the 2020 rookie draft class.
0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S Y L V A N 29.com.
1: All right, we are back and we're going to talk about a 2020 draft class that featured 10 rookie wide receivers who had over 500 yards receiving. And that doesn't count Henry Ruggs, uh, Jalen Rieger, KJ Hamler, Denzel Mims and shoot, I mean, if you want to go there, Donovan Peoples Jones probably has a chance to do that as well if he just continues to develop. So, just a ridiculously deep grab, a deep group of wide receivers. And as you as we mentioned, you have studied these guys. So, coming into the twenty twenty season, who were some of your top guys who you thought would stand out and lived up to expectations?
2: Yeah, so I mean, the, the thing about the draft class as a whole, just before getting into specific players, like. It was built and hyped up to be that it was going to be a great class. And like, sure enough, it, it was great. It did live up to and maybe even exceed expectations. But, you know, then you look back the last couple of years, and this is why receiver is so deep. You know, the 2018 class was better than expected. The 2019 class, I, I think, is like stocked full of studs. A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, uh, even Debo Samuel. Like, these are the stars of like today and tomorrow. So, Receivers as deep as ever, and the 2020 class just, like, kicked it to another level. And we'll see uh, what the 2021 class does as well. But I think the guy that I was really high on coming into the league and really exceeded, you know, met and exceeded those expectations, it has to be Justin Jefferson. I mean, the fact that he was a guy who mostly played in the slot for LSU in that 2019 record-breaking offense, I I think that almost kind of threw people off. Because you looked at him in college, I think that he looked like a full-field Number one receiver, even as he was playing inside, like you saw that he had the route chops to separate the route chops to get open versus press. And he was, I mean, unbelievably good as a rookie. I think Jeff, Justin Jefferson, basically, obviously, we know he broke records and stuff like that. He basically had Odell Beckham's rookie season just without all the highlight real moments. Like I-, I thought he was the same type of separator. 96 percentile success rate versus press coverage as a rookie. Like he was unbelievable. And you know, I, I know that it's like often billed as like a win-win trade for the Vikings and the Bills. And in and, in and results-wise, it was because they lost in, in my opinion, elite number one receiver and Stefan Diggs. And I think they've got another one now. In Justin Jefferson. Uh, The the crazy part is, though, like, what if the Eagles had just done the right thing and taken Justin Jefferson the pick before them? And then they're (laughs) slotted with Jalen Rager like that trade would look like a nightmare. So again, it kind of comes back to that whole, like landing spot fortune thing that sometimes has to happen with these prospects. But yeah, Jefferson, I think he's the clear number one guy coming out of the draft class you know, reception, perception builds him up as exactly that type of guy. Um, He's, he's someone that I think is really exciting going forward.
1: So I'm all about moving the chains. And I mentioned how Deontay Johnson caught 51% of his passes that went for first downs. Justin Jefferson caught, had a 65.9% first down rate, which is pretty freaking insane. And then, yeah, uh, (laughs) and he's not, that's another thing. He's not doing this just on the, like, you know, on intermediate or short, he's going deep. Like, he's doing this. He's yeah. winning at every level. Um, we talked about landing spots with DK Metcalf. Do you see, like, where could Justin Jefferson have gone? Even, let's say, the Eagles situation. Do you think, obviously, he might not have had this type of success, but would it, it's difficult to imagine he wouldn't have been, like, a 1,000-yard receiver in any scenario, whether it's Adam Gase on the Jets, because it would be very tough to mess up what he did. And if anything, he might have got more volume without, you know, an Adam Thielen there.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. He could have had more volume in another spot. And I think that's the thing about him is he's just good at everything. He's – it was just – I know this this is not hindsight bias, but and I, I know it it's just kills Eagles fans to talk about Justin Jefferson or D.K. Metcalf because, like, they just made two mistakes with those guys. Um, but I think even had Justin Jefferson gone to the Eagles, like it was the, just the obvious pick because he was so pro-ready. Like he looked like an NFL route runner in college and that's the thing like when you're that good at separating it's really tough for you to fail like guys that get open they they tend to find success almost no matter where they go or at least and when they're finally put in that right position for them it's gonna work out and I think Jefferson would have been that guy like that that I think the Eagles and Howie Roseman basically kind of put themselves in a brain pretzel when they looked at Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson because I think they ended up going with Jalen Rager because they felt they needed speed and they weren't wrong about that, right? Like that was a painfully slow offense in uh, 2018 like they or 2019, whatever it was. They needed more explosion out of that passing game, but they also just needed someone to come in there from day one and start because they were in such a bad position at wide receiver. They should have just looked at Jefferson as a pro ready guy and been like, look, you know. And he ended up being a great deep threat, right? Like you said, he he was more than just a possession receiver, but they could have easily just looked at him and been like, look, this guy's just going to come in here. We can feed him targets. He's going to get open for our quarterback and make our offense more functional. Whereas that was not the case uh, with, with the, with the player they ended up picking.
1: So let's talk about Rager because if you watch him at TCU, there were plenty of instances where he was struggling to separate underneath. And generally when that's the case, That's not going to change in the NFL, or at least right away. So if you didn't really watch the Eagles and you were to just look at, you know, the box scores or the stats, you see 31 receptions, 396 yards, averaging 12.8 yards per reception. Um, You would think, you know, there's not drops that he needs to get the ball more. But when you're not separating, when you're not creating for yourself, it's hard to do so. Um, Were you surprised by not so much his usage, but just how Rieger's rookie year went in general?
2: I mean, it's really hard to sugarcoat this one, man, and, and you you nailed it exactly. <laughs> you Let's nailed it exactly about. right, which is, um, I mean, you're, you're dead right about like the fact that he was just not getting open to the point that, like I said, I've been charting receivers since 2014. 300 players in the database. Jalen Rager's 2020 40.8 percent success rate versus man coverage is the second worst score I've ever charted. The only player worse is Justin Hunter. Remember Justin Hunter from the Tennessee Oh, Titans? Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, I mean, actually, and to, to be fair to Jalen Rager, if I can put one little, like, uh, rose on the thorn here, Justin Hunter's is, like, way lower. I mean, I, like, I don't think that's ever going to get <laughs> I, I think that one's going to, like, hold forever. But, um, yeah, anyways, Rager was just a mess as a route runner. Uh, really bad against press two, second percentile score. Just was not ready to be um, – to be, to be a, a, a an NFL route runner, period, but especially not as an outside receiver. You see reports coming out of Eagles camp now that this new coaching staff is like, all right, yeah, we're putting him in the slot, which is basically what I, they're going to have to do, right? Like if he's going to be able to p- succeed in the NFL, and I actually think like maybe as a speed threat from the inside where he's not dealing with as much man coverage, where he's not dealing with any press in there, that, that might really help him out. But yeah, I mean, his season was – from Again, we're talking about Justin Jefferson as the 96th percentile, then Jalen Rager down all the way at there at the basement. They they really whiffed that one.
1: They really whiffed that pick. So let's talk about a guy who did not, or a team that did not whiff on one of their picks because we were just talking about separating and leading up to the draft. Uh, people thought T. Higgins would struggle to get open in the NFL, and that really wasn't the case last year. And Cincinnati actually used him to the point where they were giving him carries in the backfield. So uh, T. Higgins finished with 67 receptions, 908 yards, six touchdowns, which is a great season for a rookie, especially a guy mm-hmm. who wasn't taken in the first round. Uh, did you like T. Higgins coming into the year? And, you know, how, well, how did he grade in reception-perception?
2: Yeah, I liked T. Higgins. I thought he reminded me of like one of those classic, old school, like number two possession receivers. You know, because of my like Panthers bias, I always think of Musin Muhammad to Steve Smith, yeah. like that that type of uh, that type of guy. So that was sort of what I thought T. Higgins would be. You know, that being said, I actually think he really you know those were high expectations, but I, I, I think he actually was kind of better than that as a rookie too. Like you know, I, I don't think he was ever going to be a number one receiver, and I think the Bengals probably evaluated that as well because like. You know, the thing about Jamar Chase, what's so great about him is he's just such a good downfield receiver. That's probably not T. Higgins' strength, but at the same time, like you said, really got open at the NFL level. Uh, he, only, he had an average or above-average success rate on every single route but two last year. Like, he was a good separator versus, uh, you know, Above average against man, uh, pretty solid against press as well. Like I think the Bengals suddenly—you remember how like excited we all were about Dallas's receiving core last year when they drafted uh, Ceedee Lamb? I think the Bengals are kind of like Cowboys North now at this point. Like they've got Chase Higgins, Boyd is you know a, a steady big slot receiver. That's a really good trio, uh, and I think they all kind of win in different ways too. The one thing that the Bengals weren't great with last year was even when Joe Burrow was in there, and you know this might kind of just be a Joe Burrow thing too. Uh, they were. Really really a small ball offense Uh, but I think like that's what Chase does really well as a downfield ball winner like he's going to help them in that way help help T Higgins in that way I think they're a really
1: exciting duo going forward we can save the baby arm burrow jokes and him one hopping short routes for another podcast I do not disagree but to your (laughs) point about T Higgins not everybody has to be a Jamar Chase. Not everybody has to be, you know, this number one guy. You need guys who complement each other. And T. Higgins does a very good job of that, I imagine. You know, and it's putting a lot of pressure on Jamar Chase to say that he's going to come in and just blow the NFL away. But I I imagine adding a guy like Chase will only help uh, Higgins moving forward. So there were some early round or early selections. Uh, CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy were two of the more popular ones. A lot of people had those two as their top receivers coming in and they did not disappoint so judy had 856 yards he had three touchdowns uh cd lamb had 935 yards five touchdowns was just super dynamic whenever he got the ball in his hands he pretty much looked the exact same that we saw in oklahoma but uh, was there any grading in his reception perception that kind of surprised you at all
2: yeah there wasn't anything in um cd lamb's like you know route portfolio that was surprising but I think the biggest surprise to me was how Dallas used him like I think CD lamb can be uh, like a number one outside receiver but the Cowboys because they have Amari Cooper on the outside they have uh, Michael Gallup who I think is a really underrated X receiver. They threw CeeDee Lamb in the slot. In reception perception, he was inside on over 80% of his charted – 88.8% of his charted snaps. Um, really very – did not run against press coverage very often, which you know, I think he can beat press. I think the numbers would show you in reception perception he can beat press. But he kind of was thrown in that um, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper Cup role. But I think he could do more than that. And that's one thing that like – I'm really interested in the Cowboys in 2020 and, you know, hopefully this is not like a, we all, we all know Mike McCarthy is not like the most <laughs> flexible guy. Uh, so w- we'll see, but I really think they could move these guys around more. You know, maybe you keep Gallup at X cause he's just, he's the best, like I think downfield guy and he's just comfortable being combative within routes and in contested situations in, in that regard. But I think Cooper can be a really good slot receiver. I think CeeDee Lamb could win outside as a flanker. So I think there could be some more interchangeability with those two guys if they want to take this offense to the next level, which is saying something because when Dak was healthy, they were basically on pace to shatter like by a wide margin every passing record in the book.
1: Yeah, I think they will be fine now that number four is back because uh, he's a special player. But I also think that Dallas put – somewhat of a ceiling on CD lamb by just limiting him to the slot. Because as you said, he can win at every level and he can do that outside and you're yeah. not really going to get a hand on him in press coverage. And that showed no. in the slots and that's not, that's transferable when it comes to outside. So uh, talking about Judy, a lot of people thought he would be relegated to the slot just with his size, but what, where did he line up mostly and uh, what did his route portfolio look like?
2: Yeah. Uh, with Judy, he's interesting because he kind of started out as a slot receiver in Denver, um, you know, and, Like, I don't know that Cortland Sutton getting hurt had anything to do with this because he was barely playing last year at all. But as the year went on, they moved him more outside. I think it started kind of around that Atlanta game where he had over 100 yards, uh, really put some corners in in a blender in that game, which is not surprising because it's Atlanta's defense. But, yeah, I mean (laughs) – he was everything that I expected him to be as a route runner, 75th percentile against press, 87th against man coverage, uh, really, really strong separator across the board. His problems were just like what we talked about earlier. It was drops. You know, he he's had like a 10 percent drop rate in reception perception, uh, you know, struggled a little bit in contested situations. You know, and and the the one thing that was a little worrisome with Judy and the drops is like it was clearly getting in his head, you know, like and and that's part of the problem, too, which was like a hate when coaches like bench players for dropping the ball because you know how human beings are like players are human beings, man. You know how you know how we all are. Like someone tells us not to do something. You're like, do this. And then like you get you'll get fired or something like that. It gets in your head. You know, you can really put yourself uh, in that mental meat grinder there with that. I think like that Chargers game specifically towards the end of the year, he was just a mess uh, at the catch point, really struggled there. And you could see he was beating him. This is not like uh, analytical or anything. It's just uh, anecdotal watching players. You could tell he was like beating himself up over it to the point that it it was starting to almost create more of a problem. But I'm not really worried about that. As we talked about with the drops issue up at the top, I'm not worried about that. I think the fact that uh, he is such a good separator outside too, like not just a guy who's going to need to be a slot receiver. I think there's a lot of flexibility with Judy there. And um, I'm going to ask you this. If you had to take one guy like going forward for the next, you know, three years or whatever, would you
1: prefer Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy? Ooh, that's a good one. So am I guaranteed Sutton will be healthy?
2: Yes. Yeah. Like, let's say best case scenario, he's the, he's the player that, that we saw in um, 2019.
1: Man, so Judy did have a ton of drops. And as you mentioned, if he gets in his own head like that, I would be worried. But at the same time, I love just how Sutton plays. I love how he has that my ball mentality when the ball's in the air. I actually think he's a lot better after the catch than people give him credit for. I so agree. I'm going to go Sutton, Um, and I think that he's closer to a top 10 receiver than a lot of people are willing to give him credit for. He's just a special player, and in that sense, if he's wide receiver one and you have uh, K.J. Hamler, who I love, and Judy complimenting him, uh, that is they have a hell of a just receiving core in general. I mean, add Noah Fan in uh they the only thing missing is that quarterback there which is a tricky position to solve oh how would you answer that would you go Sutton or would you go judy
2: that it is tough i think the health thing like it does kind of lead me to judy but in a best case scenario like what i loved about Cortland sutton is like when you looked at his rookie season for the for the most part like these reception perception metrics are pretty stable like once a guy establishes himself they tend to score out the same way every single year but sometimes you'll get a player uh, Courtland Sutton is an example of this. Kenny Galladay is another example of this. That I, I think Kenny Galladay, like coming into the NFL, was not a true separator, uh, but was more of like just I win deep and I win contested passes. But I think he started to take like every year an incremental jump to the point that you know 2020 another injury ruined season for for Kenny Galladay. Like, but I think he's sort of on that fringe of being a true number one receiver. I'm not ready to put him in that category yet because it's a high honor to get, but. I think he's right there on that fringe, and I think Sutton was sort of on that path as well. Like big gr- jump from year one to year two, and most of these metrics. Like, and I was I was ready to see that third year jump. Unfortunately, injuries ruined that. So if he can get back on that trajectory, I think he can be like a, a true alpha receiver, as you mentioned. And defense has treated him that way with double coverage and everything like that um, last year. So I, I really, uh, I think I would probably go with Sutton if all things were equal. But uh, the fact that Judy's such a good route runner and that injury question does like make make me pause there. And you're right, man. Like Teddy Bridgewater probably going to start again uh, for the Broncos this year. I, I think he. I would take him to start the majority of the games. And it's like he might have honestly upgraded from a skill position perspective. like <laughs> right. Carolina's yeah. got Carolina's got good players. You know, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and like they had four guys go over a thousand scrimmage yards last year with Curtis Samuel and Mike Davis also doing it. There's a chance like Denver's group if everybody takes that jump. They might even be better. Like, you know, I don't know. It's not going to matter much. Like, it's not going to move the needle for for Teddy to be anybody different than who he is. But still, what a a pretty good skill position group he's landed with again.
1: Yeah, I love the way Sutton evolved from year one to year two. He came into the league and people thought he wouldn't be able to separate. And he kind of won in his way year one, but he evolved year two. And then he started to separate on routes underneath on routes that you really wouldn't expect a man his size to. So how about this? Does Denver have a top five receiving group? I imagine that's not really a hot take, right?
2: No, I don't think it's. A, I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think that's like it, they're they're right around that level, uh, especially because KJ Hamler. You, you mentioned he's really underrated. Um, I was a big Deshaun oh. Hamilton fan. It's a, it's a shame what uh, what happened to Deshaun this offseason. So uh, yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. Yeah. You throw Noah Fanton there too. Like they're, they're right up there with the skill position group with anyone. And, uh, you know, they got, they got two guys at running back as well. So yeah, it's just going to be pretty, it would be great if they could just drop Aaron Rodgers into this crew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. If only, uh, okay. Let's talk about some guys who you were not as high on and they outperformed expectations. So for example, um, I, I mean, let's, let's stick to who you have first though. What do you got there?
2: Yeah, uh, it's not that I wasn't high on Brandon Ayuk, but it's that I thought he was going to be more of a limited player than he w- was in year one. Um, I thought the fact that, you know, he was like when he landed in San Francisco, I was like, OK, he's going to be a yak guy. You know, he's going to be used as a, you know, and it's not that he's bad after the catch, but. Um, Sort of similar to, you know, when A.J. Brown was coming into the NFL. I like to use this analogy when comparing these two players. When A.J. Brown was coming to the NFL, a lot of folks, because he played in the slot in college, just assumed, like, okay, he's going to be a big slot receiver in the pros, you know, sort of that Juju Smith Schuster role. But like the moment A.J. Brown got on the field for the Titans, he was out there playing as an outside receiver, winning against press coverage, winning deep, winning short, like winning as a number one X receiver right away. And Brandon Ayok was a guy. Like I said, I, I figured he would come into the NFL as more of a yak threat, you know, not really be a true route runner. Uh, and that was not that was not the case. I mean, he was awesome uh in, in yeah. his rookie season. And and the volume metrics show it that they relied on him to be much more than just some like gadget threat. But reception perception really brings it home. 88th percentile success rate versus man coverage, 77.7% success rate versus press. Like He was out there winning on the outside. He was out there winning deep, winning short, winning intermediate at all levels. Um, I'm kind of ready to put him on that, like, not saying he's going to become this player, but like that Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley axis, Terry McLaurin's on that axis as well. Like, you know, these not big receivers, but separators outside get open I I legit never thought he would be this type of route runner and certainly not as a rookie like I'm sky high on on this guy at this point I don't know how you feel about him man but like he's uh he's he was the biggest riser for me coming out of like charting these guys during their rookie season
1: so he's like an uber athlete and he didn't run great at the top at the combine. Like he ran a four or five flat, but he seems like one of those guys who just can roll out of bed and run that time because he plays much faster. I think he's just a lot more explosive than his numbers would suggest. Uh, he doesn't win with athleticism though. And that's kind of yeah. the thing that sets him as opposed to a lot of other receivers where they're used to just winning with speed or quickness, where he actually has technique. He uses hands and he has a good sized body to shield off players in. Uh, he also can extend the ball, like extend his arms. He has Inspector Gadget arms so he can yeah, go yeah. up uh, <laughs> That helps as well. Yeah, he's going to be a special player, but he's not the only one in this class. Like you have guys like Chase Claypool, uh, 49th overall pick, had a very, very good season. That was a guy who I did not like very much. I thought uh, he was more of a um, just a straight line kind of guy, wouldn't be able to do much. But it seemed like Pittsburgh only used him on those type of routes. Much to you know, like Seattle did with DK Metcalf, but still he won a lot. And Claypool ended up just being an explosive receiver. Uh, what did you think about Claypool?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I always thought that the like kind of the talk, like ah, he's gonna have to move to tight end. I thought that was kind of crazy because uh, he's so like laterally explosive, like clearly can bring. Um, A lot of moves off the line of scrimmage, but you're so right to kind of make that DK Metcalf comparison. Um, as I mentioned earlier with DK Metcalf, uh, he ran a slant or a nine route on 43.8% of his sampled routes his rookie year. Claypool ran a slant or a nine route on 53.1% of yes. his sampled routes <laughs> from last year. So it is, it's great to see teams kind of taking these uber-athletes And limiting their role. Um, And and the problem, of course, was uh, in Pittsburgh, like we mentioned with Deontay Johnson earlier, like a guy who's running a bunch of nine routes uh, or running like crossing routes deep down the field, not a great fit with what Ben Roethlisberger is at this point. I I really want to see more from um, Claypool, just in terms of his downfield usage. Like there were times where they kind of limited his snaps last year, and I think that's because he's like he's an antithetical fit with what Roethlisberger is. I think the one area where Claypool needs to kind of take a step forward is in the contested catch game. For all of his size and physicality, he did uh, have a pretty poor contested catch rate. Like that is an area where I think he can take. Hopefully, just again because of his size, you know, get play a little more physical at the catch point. He could really take that step to being like a, a, you know, a fringe number one guy. And I'm, like I said, I'm really high on Deontay Johnson too. So they have a pretty good uh, young up and coming uh, duo there. Let's just get a quarterback
1: that can show it a little more. <laughs> if only there too. So yeah, I wonder about that with Claypool because he's a giant human being. He's a large man, but for whatever reason, down the field when they're throwing these jump balls or just when he has somebody in the vicinity of him, he struggles to bring it down. I don't know if. Um, it's because he's mistiming his jump or what, but he definitely has to fix that. And I mean, again, if that's what we're talking about having to fix, I feel like the Steelers are going to be okay. So uh, let's talk about some guys who are going to take the next step because we have there, I mean, there are so many names we haven't even talked about. Um, when we are talking about guys who we liked coming in, I was really high on Van Jefferson and hopefully a quarterback change does him well. He's a guy who's probably more of an intermediate underneath type of guy, but who knows, Matt Stafford might have, have him catching back shoulder throws. Um, There's Michael Pittman Jr. There's LaVisca Chanel. There's plenty of options who can take a next step. Who are you betting on?
2: Yeah, I think Michael Pittman and Denzel Mims are two guys I really have my eye on. Let's start with Pittman um, because he – and again, we talk about antithetical fit to a quarterback like – what Phillip Rivers was – and Philip Rivers was pretty good last year, like all things considered. But we know that he's not a guy who – like remember all those big years – well, I know you know this. Remember all those years he had with like Malcolm Floyd, like throwing deep balls, the big receivers like yeah. that? Uh, Philip's not doing that at this point in, in his <laughs> career, right? <laughs> so it was like when they drafted Michael Pittman, I'm like, ah, that's kind of just not a good year one fit. But I would give Pittman credit. To this really adjusted his game uh when you look at his route success rate on uh reception perception or just his route percentage chart you see he ran a lot of digs ran a lot of slants you know crossing routes over the middle like that was what rivers really needed um and and i think that that's an interesting thing going forward because now he's got carson wentz who is i think a little more aggressive maybe not good at it but he's definitely more aggressive throwing the ball downfield rifling the ball into tight coverage like I'm interested to see those two guys together. Cause I think he could actually be a better fit for Pittman uh, in that regard. I think Pittman's just kind of a little underrated because he didn't like produce much this as a rookie, but he's like, he's a guy that if the Colts offense is going to succeed this year, beyond just running the ball and throwing to running backs, they're going to need Michael Pittman to take that next step. Cause I think T Y Hilton's kind of at the very end of his career. And I'm, I'm not the biggest like Paris Campbell guy uh, it, it around. So he's a guy I've got my eye on and Mims. I'm really excited about what the Jets have done at wide receiver. Like we'll see if, if Zach Wilson, you know, is the guy, but you know, they theoretically, like they went from one of the stone worst receiving rooms in the NFL to now they have Corey Davis, who I think is, you know, is a solid number two receiver, he can play that flanker position and do some of the dirty work that the Shanahan offshoot offense is going to, you know, kind of have to require from him. Mims I think can play the X receiver position, ball winner down the field, but not a port, like not a below average separator sort of right around um, that solid mark as a rookie 68th percentile sort of range. Then you look at um, Elijah Moore. I love Elijah Moore, you know, slot receiver inside the neck. He's dude. He's the next Tyler Lockett to me. Like I've, I said (laughs) that the moment that I watched him, he had a, as a prospect, as a prospect uh, last year, had the second best success rate versus man coverage among all the guys that I charted. So like, I I'm, I love him. I think he's probably going to be the best guy out of the three in the long term. But I do think Mims is a guy worth keeping an eye on for sure, because he is, um, he is that potential X receiver for them. Like the fact that they have a, and you know, we'll see what happens with James and Crowder. I don't know. I mean, they, they should, they should trade him for like a seventh round pick to some team. Yeah, he's probably, a probably a goner. I mean, I know they don't need to save the money, but if you could get a draft pick for him, like why not? And plus I, again, I come back to Tennessee. They they need bodies. They need bodies so bad in that wide receiver room. Uh, like you're really going to count on Josh Reynolds? I, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think like the fact that the Jets have an answer at X and Mims potentially, uh, Davis at their number two receiver position, like uh, and then Elijah Moore as a as a just a true
1: stud slot receiver. It's pretty exciting. Big Elijah Moore guy. I thought he was one of the – th- I think I had him as wide receiver four coming in. I actually compared him to Doug Baldwin. Um, I think yeah, he's same just, thing. yeah, speaking <laughs> of Seattle guys. Uh, he's just a special player, and I don't know how you let him fall as far as he did after watching the, fo- after watching the NFL and who wins and how they win in the NFL. Um, I had Mims as wide receiver three. I was really, really, really high on him. Uh, he didn't play – I think he was hurt the first few games or whatever um, – but he put up some really good numbers. He had 23 receptions, uh, averaged 15 and a half yards for uh, per perception, uh, for reception, easy for me to say. Uh, again, moving the chains. So 65% of those receptions went for first downs, and he was catching the ball. So one of the, the issues were that people thought he would have was just drops, and you really didn't see that. And he looked no. comfortable with guys near him, which is probably a good sign moving forward. Oh, yeah. uh, he's a really oh, good yeah. athlete. He can fly. And, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how the Jets use him because it seemed like the fades and the crossing routes kind of down the field were the were how he will win moving forward. Um, I think, you know, even make it even simpler, just run him on slants and he will eat off those, too. So, yeah, I think he has a chance to be like, I'm not going to say he's on the same axis as some of the other guys we mentioned. That would be our, our, you know, wide receiver one. But Based on what we saw in a limited sample size, it would not surprise if he got there.
2: So, with Denzel Mims, like just to put kind of a bow on that, uh, number one, yeah, I would love to see them use him on more slants because I think he gets off the line pretty quickly and into those slant routes, had a really good success rate in reception perception. But, like, man, the routes I used him on last year uh, 25% nine routes, 15% those deep dig routes, 11% post routes, uh, corner routes, comeback routes, like all deep. deep. Low percentage throws in the Adam Gase like Sam Darnold offense, dude. Like the fact that he, the fact that he had no real like off season training because he was injured in in training camp. He was like behind the eight ball basically. The fact that he came in there and produced and play, played pretty well in that environment while running those deep patterns only. <laughs> I think that's pretty impressive.
1: So Sports Info Solutions, charges, and I'm sure you have them too. But he, So he caught 51% of his passes, which looks terrible. But he caught 82% of his passes that were catchable. And I feel like that's what we need to focus on because, oh, yeah. as you mentioned, the Gase, the Darnold, and these low percentage offenses, you don't really have a chance, man. And uh, I imagine that life will be a lot easier. So uh, we pretty much touched on – or, I mean, we touched on quite a few receivers here. But even then, man, there's still so many guys. Like a Tyler, uh, Tyler Johnson, who I love. Coming out of Minnesota, he's in Tampa Bay and, you know, he's kind of buried there because they have so many players. But is there anybody else that you want to touch on who maybe either surprised you or disappointed you before we get out of here?
2: Yeah, I mean, I just really want to see what the Raiders are going to do with Henry Ruggs. Um, it was not really a good decision to take him as a first receiver last year, uh, but I didn't hate him. Yeah, no, <laughs> hot take there. Uh, and the <laughs> worst part about it, man, is that they seemed like they didn't really have a plan for him. Like they, they, or they seemed like the plan for him was basically to be like a motion guy, you know, like a pre snap motion type of threat. But, like, come on, man, like, that's why you don't draft that player as high as you do just to be that. Um, I, I really want to see them be more uh creative with him. You know, he he did he was not good in reception perception as a rookie outside of the vertical routes, like corner post, uh, nine route. But, you know, maybe he can be a Brandon Cooks type of player uh, in a best-case scenario, in a best, best, best best-case scenario. Probably not, but um, at least along that sort of axis. And I I just hope that – I hope they can figure out something for him uh, because, yeah, that was just a very strange pick to then, like, not have a real plan for him.
1: So at the time, I I thought he was, you know, the worst of the four wide receivers out of Alabama. And to be fair, the other three are very, very good. So it's It's not uh, uh, – yeah, it's not a knock on Ruggs to say that, but as you mentioned, I mean, he's just a fast linear type of guy, and yes, he had explosive plays at Alabama, and I th- he probably will be a better kick returner return guy than anything. But still, uh, what what were they? What did they expect? What were they? What did they think would happen by taking Rugs at this juncture? Because passing up Rugs for all the players who are were on the board, because we've talked about all these guys, and think about what Rugs did last year. And think about where he was taking, like 452 yards, average 17 yards of reception. So that looks great, but you can't have a receiver when you take him. 12th overall only have 26 catches. You have to have a plan for him, and they really didn't. So even on these pre-snap motions, why not throw him a screen? Why not give him something easy underneath as opposed to everything down the field? So we'll see if Gruden evolves. I would not be holding my breath if I were a Raiders fan, though, and uh, that's an issue there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, we'll see. I thought he was like a Mike Wallace type of player. Like you mentioned, linear athlete, um, explosive in that way. Like get him on some more crossers if you're not going to have Derek Carr throwing him a bunch of nine routes. But it's crazy that like they had Nelson Aguilar basically playing that deep threat role,
1: you know, like they very strange. All right. Well, that will do it for us, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about receivers because everybody likes to talk about receivers. Is there anything that you're – What's your next project you got going on?
2: Yeah, so uh, we talked about all these 2020 receivers. If anybody's interested in checking out, go subscribe at Reception Perception. We have three tiers for subscribers, so there's kind of something for everybody there to get access to this information. Um, And next up, uh, I'll be putting the, like, years three to four guys coming on the website. So some of the players we've talked about, DJ Moore, uh, Deontay Johnson, Calvin Ridley, uh, those guys are going up there. But as a bonus for subscribers, uh, Julio Jones is going to be on the site Uh, ahead of schedule next uh, by the end of this week, because um, I don't know if you all have missed it, but a little bit of news (laughs) going on there. (laughs) So if you want to know Uh, before he's traded, if he's traded, uh, what he looks like in reception perception, that's going to be on the site uh, by the end of the
1: week. Is it a spoiler to say that he's going to look very good?
2: Uh, listen, 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 listen! Can't give out all the gems here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no. One of the best receivers that's ever played the game. One of the most freakiest athletes. He's gonna look terrible, but uh if you want to see the real results, it'll be on the side.
1: What what team is he playing for next year?
2: I kind of hope it's the Chargers. Like that's my sky, like pie in the sky uh landing spot for him. Because listen, I'm not trying to see him go to the Raiders. All right. I mean, it feels right. like a very Raiders move, but, um, you know, the Patriots, he apparently wants to play for Cam Newton, play, play with Cam Newton. I, I mean, I'd want to play with Cam Newton like three years ago. Um, You know, Titans? it is what it is tight. I mean, Titans would be great, but they have like no money. I think they're just one of the teams that like I'm, the uh the Chargers seem like one of the teams that are an intersection of need, like the right window to do it. And uh, and the potential cash to make it work because it is a big contract to take on with Julio yeah. Jones, um, and yeah, like if you're the Chargers, why not have Justin Herbert like slinging it to Julio Jones as opposed to guys like Jalen Guyton uh, yeah. and, or whatever they were working with last year? I like I still like Mike Williams as a vertical threat and a contested catch guy, but make him your three, Jones two, Keenan Allen one. Like you're suddenly cooking there uh, at that point.
1: Yeah, it'd be tough to stop that team for sure. I think he ends up with the Patriots, man. I think that they just go all in on their quarterbacks. And because that – speaking of wide receiver rooms who are terrible when we're talking about uh, the Jets, uh, what the Patriots put on the field last year, no quarterback should have to play with that ever, man. No, no, no. Well, again, thank you, thank you. For those of you, please rate, subscribe, review, leave us five stars. Matt, where can we follow you on the Twitters?
2: Yeah, you can follow me at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Thank you, as always.